Welcome to Lady T Speaks Podcast. I'm your host, Tamika, bringing you stories of triumph and inspiration. Today's special guest is a registered nurse who is sharing her frontline battle story. Please welcome Shanika Eccles. Hi, Shanika. Good morning, Tamika. Good morning. It is May 12, 2020. The other day, you shared a glimpse of your story on Black Nurses Rock on Facebook detailing your experience as a temporary employee who went to help out in New York City and contracted the coronavirus yourself and had a pretty difficult ordeal battling coronavirus. So I would like for you to, and once again, thank you for coming on this platform, but I would like you to share your story. Okay. April 12th, Easter evening, I arrived to New York City to start a contract as a registered nurse at New York Presbyterian Columbia on April 13th. It was an eight-week contract, and the first week, I was doing a lot of internet orientation, but that Friday, April 17th, I started the assignment, which had got switched earlier in the week to New York Presbyterian Queens in Flushings, New York. So I arrived for my first day of assignment, which went fine, no issues. So I should clarify that prior to going to New York, also worked in Syracuse, New York as a registered nurse with the geriatric population who were COVID positive. So after arriving to New York on the 12th, I noticed on the 14th that I had a cough. And then I started work on the 17th, but that week I was getting progressively worse. COVID never crossed my mind. I don't know why, but at that time I wasn't thinking COVID. On Monday, April 20th, arrived to work at 8 a.m. And my job was to work beside a nurse practitioner who was a full-time employee of New York Presbyterian Queens Hospital. We were onboarding new and traveling nurses to the hospital. We went and we onboarded about 50 nurses. Earlier that morning, I had said to him that I would meet him because I was so weak. I wanted to get a head start. So I thought maybe I'll go have some fruit and some orange juice and I'd feel better. So I met him later on. We went, we started our process. And throughout the morning, he would ask me, are you okay? Are you okay? And I said, oh yeah, I'm fine. But for some reason, he had his eye on me the whole morning. So after we completed the onboarding of all the new nurses, we proceeded to go back to the office. And he said to me, do you want to take the steps or the elevator? And I said, no, I need to take the elevator. And just as the elevator was closing, I heard his voice say, Shanika, are you okay? And I said, I'm fine. We got upstairs and he was so persistent on checking on me, he asked to take my temperature. And when he took my temperature, it was 101.8. And that's when the alarm bells went off for me. So he suggested I go to the emergency room. But of course, I'm in New York City. And honestly, I didn't have trust in any of the physicians there. I just didn't trust the hospital. So I called my job, my travel agency. I called my mom and I decided to drive four hours home back to Syracuse, New York to go to the emergency room. My mom offered to come and pick me up, but I felt like I could make better timing if I made the drive myself. 
So that's what I did. I drove four hours back to Syracuse from Queens, New York. Well, I checked out of my hotel, packed my car, and didn't make a drive. Arrived to the hospital at 5.30 p.m. They had an x-ray. They found pneumonia in both lungs. It was pretty bad. So they admitted me. And that's where the story really began. I was placed on a COVID unit, put in a room, and literally locked away. From Monday to Thursday, I got progressively worse. Nurses didn't really give me any bedside nursing, and I'm a registered nurse myself, but I was really just put in a room and locked away. So my sister, who is an employee of the hospital, was doing a lot of advocating, and she called me and said, you need to call patient relations to move you. Thursday the 23rd, around 2 p.m., I called patient relations and said, on 7A, I'm locked in a room most of the day. The nurses only come in to give me meds. I'm getting worse. And if you don't move me, I'm going to die. They said, okay, we'll pass the call along. Someone will call you back. And no one ever called back. As the day went on, my breathing and my condition continued to worsen. And that night, probably around midnight, between 11 p.m. and midnight, I called my mom, who's a pastor, who I had not been able to see since I had got back to Syracuse because I went straight to the hospital. In the hospital, doesn't allow visitors. But I called her and I said to her, I'm scared and I don't think I'm going to make it. And she started to speak life into me. And I asked her, had she spoke to my aunt Sheila? Said yes, I spoke to her earlier in the evening. And I asked her to call her. And I told her the same thing. And she began to speak to me. And she reminded me that I was a child of God and that I was already healed. And I needed to believe that. She prayed over me. And she would just speak into me and say, listen, you're going to come out on the other side. And when you do, there is a testimony behind this. You have to have faith. And so at the end of that phone call, we hung up. It was around 3.30 in the morning and I got a text message from my mother. And it was a song that she had Googled and sent to me, Waymaker, and opened the text message and began to listen to the song. And it was encouraging me around 4.30 in the morning, roughly, I went into respiratory failure and they had to call a cold team, a rapid response team at the hospital. They came into the room, they stabilized me, and I was able to get minimum rest that night. But around 9 a.m., two doctors from ICU, Friday the 24th, came to see me, Dr. BK and Dr. Party, two young residents. And they expressed to me that they had heard about what happened a couple of hours prior and that they were concerned and considering moving me to the ICU. And they were bordering the fence because they were like, okay, if something happens, you're not that far from ICU that we can get to you, but it'd be easier if you were on ICU. So they were pondering whether or not to make the move. Ultimately, they decided to make move, which saved my life because that Friday night, again, I went into respiratory failure and I was breathing at 60 respirations a minute. My O2 sats were low. My heart rate was elevated and it didn't look good. I was running a fever of 104.8 that they couldn't break, but I'll never forget that I had a nurse that first night in ICU and her name was Amy. And Amy, she was an angel. She got sent her there because she was so, so concerned about me and her. And she would speak into me to fight and remind 
remind me constantly of my 15-year-old son that was at home. I have three boys. One is uh, 27, lives in Atlanta, and another one, 24, who lives on his own in the same city. And then I have my last son at home with me, who's 15, and we're close as thieves. Like, literally, we're two peas in a pod. So she would constantly remind me of my son. And the doctors had reached a point where they wanted to put me on a vent. And I cried and cried and begged Amy to tell them I don't want to go on a vent. So she advocated on my behalf and they would tell her, okay, well, one doctor told her that he all right, I won't put her on a vent. I'm going to let her tire herself out and then she'll have to go on a vent. So Amy came back to me and said, listen, we've got to get these respirations down. You're panting. You're not even breathing right now. And I would get up to go to a commode. She said, no, no more commode. I need to be able to put a Foley in you with a temperature gauge so that we can monitor your core temperature. And so those were things that I had a fear of. But ultimately, as a nurse, I understood that these were things that needed to be done. So it outweighed the fear. So I went along with it and they wanted to put a cooling blanket on me. Initially, I was afraid of that because that's really hard to tolerate. But okay, I'll do the cooling blanket. So I was just able to trust the process, not only through my faith in God, but the encouragement that I was getting from the nurse, Amy. I made it through the night, and at some point the next day, the fever was coming down, and I didn't have to get the cooling blanket. They decided not to because they felt like it would be harder uh, for me to sustain. I also want to say, Tamika, that when I initially arrived to the emergency room, I was given a COVID swab that came back negative. And then again on 7A, they swabbed me and it came back negative. And then again in the ICU, they swabbed me and it came back negative. But all my symptoms were COVID and they decided to take my blood to check for the antibodies. And that came back positive. So that's where their COVID diagnosis came from. I spent 12 days in ICU and each day I did get better. Initially, the doctors would only only say to my mom that they could not make any promises. They were doing the best they could. I did not go on a vent that first night as they wanted to put me on. I was able to tolerate high flow oxygen. I want to say initially I was at 60 or 70 liters via nasal cannula, which was very hard to adjust to because that's a lot of oxygen being forced into your body. And it, it feels like you're in a wind tunnel and you have to learn to breathe that. But quickly I adjusted. They also suggested that I prone, which is laying on your belly, which allows your lungs to inflate more because you're on your belly. And of course, your lungs are in the back. So I did it which they said was very hard to do for most people. And they suggest two hours a day. And my fight was so intense that I would do it for the whole day. The nurses would come in and say, if you want to take a break, you can. But I was, I was obsessed with getting better. So I would do it for hours and hours and hours. And it came to a point where the doctor, a couple of days after being in ICU, maybe a week that you don't have to prone anymore. And I was still proning because I wanted to go home 
home. I wanted to know that I was going to get better. I continued to get fevers for a while, which concerned them, but eventually the fevers did subside. And then when the antibody test came back for COVID, I qualified for a plasma treatment, which allows you three days of plasma infusion. And what that is, is they take plasma from a recovered COVID-19 patient, clean it, wash it, and then they give it to a patient who's currently sick with COVID to help build your immune system up to help fight the uh, virus. So I got three days of that, and I honestly can't tell you if it helped or not. I really don't know. But I did sign up for a research project, which allows them to monitor my blood over the next year. So once a week, I have to go out for a blood draw. 12 days in ICU, I started to recover. On the 12th day, I was moved to, or the 13th day, I was moved to a isolation unit for COVID and spent two days there and then was taken off of isolation and moved to a med surge unit where I was discharged home from there on three liters of oxygen, Lovenox, so I have to give myself shots each day, a fungus medication for my lungs and high blood pressure meds. And I'm home now, recovering with my family, grateful to be alive. Amen. What a testimony. Thank God for a praying mother. Thank yes. God for the nurse who did exactly what she was supposed to do as a nurse. She represented the profession well and taking care of you because we she are did. the advocates. We are the advocates and this is what, this is why we do what we do. Yes. Oh, I man. am so grateful for Amy. Mm. So grateful for her. Are you in touch with her at all? No. Came home this past Friday, the 8th, I want to say, or the 9th. And I said I'd give myself some time because I really want to, I want to get her a gift, but I want it to be something. And I'm just waiting for the Lord to put it on my heart as to what it is. But each day, I, I'm reminded each day of what she did to me. Like, it's not a day that goes by that. You don't find nurses like Amy too often. I find that a lot of them are just in a routine. And that's why I got so sick. 7A, the first unit they put me on because the nurses were, they were in a routine. Here's your meds. And then they just want to get out the room. There was nobody actually observing and watching and noticing and taking the time to talk to me and find out what's going on with me. And I'll just never forget Amy. What a horrific ordeal. I just want to clarify for the listeners, you said you went home on Lovenox, which is anticoagulant. They give patients medication to prevent clot from forming Mm -hmm. at home and they could self-administer via injection. So just, you know, a lot of people aren't, you know, medically savvy. So I just wanted to. Okay. Yeah. As well as I wanted to know. What made you not trust the doctors at the hospital that you were working for you to drive four hours home to go to the ER there? I know. I've seen. I didn't witness it firsthand in the hospital, but I seen a lot of videos of other nurses talking about how the doctors were just placing people on vents and not listening to the nurses advocating for their patient and the mistakes that were being made once the patient had been placed on the vent or the mistake being made during the intubation of the patient. And it just wasn't in my spirit. What were some of the mistakes I had heard of? the tube being placed wrong. I had heard of 
people being turned away, not even having a chance to have care. I've heard of nurses giving the wrong medications to patients on the vent, using the wrong settings. I had heard of nurses advocating and being ignored and then the patients dying. So I, I didn't trust the process in New York. I just, I didn't trust the process. And we have a very good hospital in the city I'm from, Upstate Medical Center, which is a teaching hospital and a level one trauma center. So that's where the Lord told me to go. I, I really believe that God put it in my heart to drive there because there's no way you can drive four hours with a fever of 101.8 and actually make the drive in the supposed time safely. I didn't stop. I didn't waver. I didn't get weak. I just drove and I made it there. And as soon as I got there, they took me right in and started the process. There was no wait, go home. And initially, and I should say, because this is important, initially, I told my mother I was driving home and I was going to go home to my own home and quarantine because even though I knew I was sick, I don't know why. I just didn't believe that I had COVID. And my frame of thought was to just get home. It was really my mom who called me while I was on the road and said, don't go home, drive straight to the hospital. And that's why I drove straight to the hospital. And thank God that I did, because the pneumonia was so bad. Had I drove home and laid down, I probably wouldn't have got back up. Yeah. And, you know, I would assume the roads were like ghost town. That was so dangerous in and of itself, because it's like, it's no one around to help you if you get in trouble for it. Right. You know? Right. Wow. Right. Wow. Just God was with you for sure. You know, also thank God that your sister worked at the hospital that you went to for care because, you know, the fact that people can't visit their loved ones. And this is a horrible time to be sick. You know, you don't have to have COVID and this is still a horrible situation right? for anybody right. to have a sick loved one. But for you to... And not be able to come in, but for you to actually have COVID and and get shut away the way that you did while you were there, and you are unfortunately being victimized by the same system that you were, which that's another story and and, and unfortunate. But thank God your sister was there and she was able to. Tamika, I can't even tell you mm. how bad. I was treated during the process at that hospital. But I will say to you that God showed me favor even through some of the mistreatment because my sister has been in, employed by that hospital for 20 something years and she's younger than me. And she has friends in the hospital who are supervisors who are nurse leadership, and they were able to go into my chart and keep her informed without her. So they were, she was always, if they were going to move me to ICU when they made the decision, she knew before the family got the call because her nurse supervisor friends would call or text her and say, hey, heads up, they're moving your sister at such and such time to ICU or heads up, this is what's going on. And so she would get the information before the doctor made the call to the family to know, okay, this is what's going on. Let me get the family involved and inform them. So God was with me the whole time. And that's favor to, for, to have a family member in the hospital, but to have a family member with relationship with people in the hospital to keep her informed. Did you have any pre-existing conditions 
you know how they said that people are most likely to get it when people with pre-existing conditions. Yes, I had hypertension and I was on Norvas and Lasartan. And then when I got to ICU, they took me off the Lasartan because that med, for some reason, they say COVID feeds off of it. So they took me off of it and put me on a higher dose. You said the Lasartan. The Lasartan. Okay. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So did your son fully knew the whole scope of what was going on? Yes. My sister was my healthcare proxy. And as I said, I have an adult son in Atlanta and I have an adult son here in Syracuse, New York. And the family would have FaceTime every night and my sister would inform the family. And it included my son who was 15, update them each night, my progress or whatever the doctors had informed her. And so this whole family was involved. And uh, I should say too, I've been a nurse 12 years since I'm sorry, seven years, 2012. And I've worked in long-term care in my community and also in the operating room in my community. And so I I know a lot of people and I have a lot of relationships. And when I say the outpouring from those who I don't even have relationship with was tremendous. My mom was overwhelmed with the phone calls and the text messages and the people reaching out out of concern for my, not only me, but my son. Because anybody who knows Shanika knows that her baby is Robert. And when you see me, you see him. We're literally two peas in the pot, like we're super close. So people automatically Their concern went to my son. Where is her son? Who has her son? Is there anything we can do for him? I was overwhelmed at the outreach of people who were genuinely concerned about my son, knowing the relationship between us. How did he just handle it? He handled it excellent. I couldn't believe I really couldn't believe. I had to call him when I felt better and ask him, did you understand what was going on? He said, yeah, ma, I understood. He said, I was praying for you. And I asked anybody I could to pray for you. But he didn't have a breakdown. He just, I don't, I can't understand it. He handled it so well. At some point I had a conversation with my mother and I said to her, I said, you know, I noticed my son will text me out of the blue during the day. I'll be at work. He'll call me, can you talk? Say yes. You know, we just talk and we laugh and he texts me all day and he called me all day. But I noticed when I was in ICU, he never texted me. He never called me. And he said, Ma, I just wanted you to have rest. So he said, Ma, I did call you. I don't remember it. But he said, I did call you, but I wasn't texting you and calling you like that because I wanted you to be able to rest. So now you tested negative three times with the swab and Uh yet you were very critically ill. It was the antibody test that they're now having everyone. I think it's now mainstream. There's certain places, um, at least it's been offered to the nurses where I work, and I'm sure nurses within this city, and I'm sure nurses been offered to go for antibody testing. But that's something to be tested with the swab three times and was negative. Yes. And then yeah, it, it baffled me. the doctors because I had all the symptoms. Absolutely. I, they said I had textbook symptoms, but they couldn't get a positive swab on me. But Absolutely. my infectious disease doctor explained that the virus mutates itself and that it could have been a mutated virus, COVID virus, but the swab couldn't pick it up. Yeah. And that's why. Mm-hmm. So that was their explanation. And I should also say that once the antibody test came back, they kind of stopped in their trap. Initially, they were 
waiting for that test to give me the plasma. And then when it came back, it kind of threw them back because they were like, wait a minute, she swabbed three times negative, but she has the antibodies. Do we give her the plasma anyway? So it took an extra day for them to make the decision to give me the plasma. So just to explain, you know, for the listeners, if you have antibodies to a virus, it, it shows proof that your body is fighting it off. So that was their indirect positive for COVID yes. for her because the swab didn't pick it up. And mind you, the test for COVID is not pleasant. As no. people have previously said, it's not pleasant. So for you to be that sick and have to endure that three times is a lot. And I'm glad that the plasma was available to you as a treatment because they could have easily said you don't have it and wouldn't give it to you. Mm-hmm. And that's unfortunate yeah, because they could have made that decision. Yeah. So thank God that you were in the position that you were in, that your sister had her connections to get you what you needed. But then what about the people who don't? And what about what happens to them? Right. You know, if right. they put a nurse who understands healthcare who is a product of the system, is is the system. You are the healthcare system. So for them to do that to you, and they knew you were a nurse because you were employed there. Mm-hmm. Everybody knew I was a nurse. And everybody knew I had come from New York City, which really irritated me too. Because here I am sick, fighting for my life. And then the nurses would come in and ask me questions about New York City. And I'd be like, I don't want to talk about that. I'm trying to live. I, you know? I understand people are curious, but there's a time and a place for everything, you know? I'm trying to survive. I don't want to talk about what's going on in New York City and how bad it was or how, what did I witness? Like, focus on me right now. Meanwhile, your temperature is 104. You got to lay prone. You're on 70 liters of oxygen. Like, that was a lot. Yes, yes. And as you said, when I went into the hospital and was the patient, it opened my eyes to what's going on with patients in the hospital now. For me to have been a nurse in the hospital and be treated the way I was treated. Now, ICU, I have no complaints. But when I was put on that unit and locked away in the room initially and declined, and then after my ICU stay, when I was sent back to the unit, oh, the treatment was terrible. I mean, terrible. It baffles me how Some people in healthcare are so unconcerned. They don't care. It's just a routine. It's just a job to them. And at that hospital, they use the old part of the hospital for COVID patients, which means we have no bathrooms. We have to use commodes. We're locked in rooms all day, shut behind a door. Now, here I am recovering, and I can't even go in an actual bathroom and use a toilet. They make you use commodes. So they make you feel, you know, I felt dirty. I didn't feel good about myself during that recovery process. It wasn't until the last two days of my hospital stay that I was even able to have a room with a bathroom, Tamika. When I got off of isolation, the very first room that they moved me to didn't even have a door, Tamika. It had no door and no bathroom. I had to raise a fit and say, I will not be treated like this. Who in the world puts a 46-year-old woman, especially a nurse, in a room with no door right across from the nurse's station. So I hear every conversation. I just couldn't believe it. And no bathroom. They said, well, there's a bathroom up the hall you can walk to or you can use a commode. It took for me to call my sister again for her to text her supervisor friend who was working 
have a fit. And then her supervisor friend came up and moved me. In the last two days, I was able to spend in an actual hospital room with a bathroom. It, it, was, it, was, a, it was a hard process, but I, I try to remind myself that I'm thankful to be alive, regardless to what the process was. Well, I'm glad those resident doctors, they came in, they identified the problem, they had a plan, they executed the plan. Thank God for the nurse. Thank God for the connections your sister had. Thank God that you were covered in that form mm-hmm. of fraud. Thank God for everything, you know, and thank you for being willing to share this incredible yeah. story because people need to know this is no joke out here. It's no joke. And people still... No, it's not. COVID-19, they're still taking it as a joke. People are outside, not covering their faces. You know, they're not practicing social distancing. There's a lesson for me behind this. I just pray and ask God to reveal, reveal that lesson to me. I have some of it, but I ask God to give me the whole message behind this because I know that there was purpose in this for not only myself, but someone else. So I'm just thankful. I'm so thankful that God see fit to allow me to stay amongst the land of the living and be able to celebrate Mother's Day on Sunday and a birthday on yesterday. And anything I can do to help anybody else, sign me up. I'm just thankful. I really am. Well, God bless you. So where can people find you on social media? Facebook, my name is Shanika, S-H-A-N-I-C-A, Nicole, N-I-C-O-L-E. I have an Instagram, and I want to say it's Sing, S-I-N-G-74, but I don't really access the Instagram much, but I believe that's the, the name on there. Well, the link to your Facebook and maybe your Instagram will be included in the description of this episode on my website at www.ladytspeaks.com. I want to thank you for sharing your raw, honest experience as a frontliner who successfully defeated COVID-19 despite being incredibly critically sick. Thank you. Absolutely. And if you guys want to send Shanika well wishes on Facebook, I guess you can send her a friend request, messenger, you can reach out to Shanika. And my page is public so you can access it for sure Mm -hmm. so how are you doing now like what's life like right now for you like Mm -hmm. in your recovery on a day-to-day basis i get up in the morning i have a my house is three levels so i get up in the morning and take my shower get myself together take my meds give myself the injection and then my son usually gets up. He's a teenager, so closer to 12. And then he'll carry my oxygen concentrator downstairs for me. And I'll spend the day downstairs. My tubing is long enough and I have an open floor uh, layout so I can move about the house without issues. And actually, I thought that it was going to be more difficult than it is. But the only difference that I have at home is that I'm on oxygen. My endurance is not the best, so I have to pace myself and take breaks and make sure I rest appropriately. But it's really the same for us as before I got sick because we stayed in the house as we were supposed to, unless I was going to work. I went to work, came home, and it was us. My niece is currently staying with me. She was with my son when I left to go to New York, and then she stayed 
when I was in the hospital. I'm home now and she's here. She's a college student. So she's not in school right now because of COVID. So she's here with us. And my mom comes out. She tries to come every day, but I don't let her because I want her to be able to rest and take care of herself. But other than that, I have very supportive family and friends who, if I need help or anything, would be here. But it's just me, my son and my niece. And I'm adapting. I have a laundry on the second floor right next to my bedroom. So I've gone back to doing my laundry, which was quite exciting for me (laughs) to be able to do laundry. I'm just trusting and believing that this is short-lived. And so every day, I just continue to work to get better. And that means by not laying around, not sitting around, but being active even in my own home with daily responsibilities and and it's working for me so i'm happy to god bless the glory thank you for your service shanika greatly appreciate it thank you all right thank you for allowing me to share my story thank you for sharing it and you are listening to lady t speaks